Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. In today's episode of The Bell Tale, Hazel Stewart. A dentist has been sentenced to a minimum of 21 years in jail for murdering his wife and his ex-lover's husband. Howell's former lover and co-accused Hazel Stewart denies the charges. A jury today unanimously found Hazel Stewart guilty of both murders. The court rejected her defence that she was a helpless victim who was controlled by Howell, as she had told police in interviews last year. A sordid affair, a church scandal... A double murder disguised as a suicide pact. And a secret that was kept for almost 20 years. For 19 years, he hid the perfect crime. They were thought to have died in a suicide pact. And so they had a dysfunctional relationship. It wasn't a relationship that was based on any practicality or reality. It was still secreted. Ex-lovers Colin Harrell and Hazel Stewart killed their spouses, disguising the deaths as suicides. It's the stuff of television, and that's exactly what it became. I'm not having innocent thoughts about you, Hazel. Maybe I'm not so innocent myself. So, who is Hazel Stewart, the mother convicted of two murders? Is she truly a cold, callous killer, or is there more than meets the eye? At first, Stewart insisted she was powerless to save her husband's life. Finally, she broke down, admitting to police that she knew Colin Howell was coming to kill Trevor. Joining me to discuss this fascinating topic is the Belfast Telegraph security correspondent, Alison Morris, and former Northern editor of the Irish Times, Dan Keenan. Alison, just bringing it back for context, who is Hazel Stewart? Yeah, in 1986, Hazel and her husband, who is now UC man, Trevor Buchanan, moved into a house in Coleraine and they joined the Coleraine Baptist Church and that is where Hazel Buchanan, as she was then, met Colin Howell at a playgroup that both of their children attended. By the summer of 1990, Hazel um, and Colin Howell had started an affair. So they were, at first, this was dealt with internally by the church. What happened was they continued, despite saying that they wouldn't continue the affair. In 1990, um, Hazel has apparently travelled to England to have an abortion after finding herself pregnant and the relationship was sort of stop-start. Both of them had been confronted by their partners at this stage. It was sort of pretty well known in church circles that the two of them were having an affair. Hal had form for this. It wasn't the first woman he had had an affair with. So at this point in time, I think that Hazel is a woman. She is a Sunday school teacher. You know, she was a mother of two. She was married to this policeman. 
Colin Howell was married to a very lovely woman called Leslie Howell who was devoted to him and also devoted to her children. She was devastated by this affair. She was clearly very distressed by this affair and also, you know, given they were very Christian people, I don't think she thought that divorce was an option. She was trying to work her way through it, but in a terrible state about that. And in May 1991, her father died. Um, so Howell contacted the church leaders. He claimed that his wife was missing and that she was distressed about the death of her father. Um, and then her body is found along with Hazel Stewart's husband, Trevor Buchanan, in a fume-filled car at a garage at Leslie Howell's dead father's home. So that was, as far as the police were concerned, almost the start and the end of the story because it was staged to make it look like a suicide. It was treated like a suicide. It was supposed to be, you know, the story was that these two people were devastated, that their partners were having an affair. And so the police investigation ended there. That was probably where the story would have ended. But then we have to go way forward to May 2007. Now, bear in mind, they continued. This affair were in a relationship after their um, the death of... They're both their wife and their husband, but that started to falter then. And we can see if we step further, or the sort of guilt and, you know, the, the pain. And also, Hell was a very controlling man. He remarried again, but his um, his eldest son to his wife, Leslie, in 2007 died. He was in St. Petersburg in Russia. Um, he was a young student and he had a fall and he died. At that stage... Powell was also having financial problems. He invested in this sort of crackpot scheme where he invested all his money, he lost it all. Things were spiralling out of control. And in 2009, he walked into a police station almost 19 years after the two killings and he admitted that he gassed his former wife, Leslie, and um, Hazel's husband, then Trevor Buchanan, and had staged it for the police into thinking that they had taken their own life. That was at this stage... Hazel had remarried. That is why she is now called Stuart to again to another police officer. Um, and she's arrested because when Colin Howell admits to his role in it, he also then tells police what her role in these murders were. So, yeah, that was the beginning. And obviously the press went nuts. The story was insane, you know. And in terms of the readership, people were fascinated by it. They wanted to know more these, you know, he was a dentist, she was a Sunday school teacher. These people looked on the face of it, you know, to be so prim, so proper, so middle class. They were involved in the church. And yet behind scenes, all the seediness was ongoing, this affair, these murders, the suicide pact, all of that. Um, and, as you know, the press interest in it was wild. And then we had the trials. Um, Colin Hall plead guilty. So his was over fairly quickly. Hazel Stewart pleaded not guilty, which is where a lot more of the details of what had happened then emerged. She was found guilty and she was um, sentenced to life imprisonment. She appealed that sentence. Her She appealed the conviction. The appeal was refused. She actually appealed the conviction um, in relation to Leslie Hoyle, not in relation to her husband, and that was um, denied. And then she settled into where the women prisoners are housed in Northern Ireland, which is in Hydebank Wood, so at that time, Hazel Stewart, I think most of us wondered how she was going to cope. 
in prison given the fact that she came from such a privileged and sort of affluent lifestyle going in to a prison. But, you know, I remember one time long before I'd ever spoken to her, going up to the prison and doing a tour, and she was in the gym, and she seemed in the face of Dave Selden quite well. She wouldn't speak to anyone from the media. I asked, because I spoke to some of the prisoners that day, and the prison service said, no, you know, Hazel doesn't deal with the medium when they come in. She usually hides when she sees mm-hmm. press. And then in 2017, after the release of, we know that, you know, the famous film, the book by Derek Henderson, which was turned then into a film, you know, Jimmy Nesbitt, The Secret, when it came out, after that, Hazel changed legal teams. And there is a part in the film where um, Colin Hall is seen drugging Hazel Stewart to have sex with her. And her legal team had, you know, mentioned this change. He would have done that, you know, fairly regularly. And they went, did you tell the police this? And you were interviewed and says, yeah, they didn't seem much interested at the time. And so there was a fresh complaint made and that was in 2017. So at that part, you know, she made a, a statement and specialist officers from the Public Protection Unit, which deals with sexual crime, were sent to the prison. Um, She was interviewed over a lengthy period of time about exactly what had happened. And then he was then arrested in McGabry, brought in for question, and admitted that he says that he injected her with a drug that he used, that was used to sedate intensive care patients. Bear in mind, this mum was a dentist, so he had access to drugs. and he said that he did it because she felt guilty about having sex with him after they had murdered their husband and wife. You can imagine you would. Um, and this was what way she felt that it was easier to have sex. So there was a decision not to prosecute her, which was appealed. And I actually, you know, that's that's a process that's still ongoing through her legal team. But it was through that process, and I had written a few times about this aspect of the case, then that I came to meet Hazel Stewart. And that was last summer? Yes, so what happened was um, Hazel's husband, her second husband, has stood by her throughout all of this. He's incredibly devoted to her. And, you know, he had said that it would be possible for me to speak to her, and I did. The circumstances of that, I suppose, were very strange because I didn't know what to expect. There are pictures of Hazel in the public domain, and the Hazel that I had seen standing in the court that day all those years ago very blonde, beautifully dressed also, but showed no emotion coming in and out of court throughout all that trial. Appeared very cold in relation to it. I know the story was that his conscience got the better of him, but hers didn't. You yes. Know? She was a woman who was going to keep this secret for the rest of her life. So you have this image of this sort of femme fatale type character, you know, that was bewitching these men and she was so glamorous and the pictures were in the beautiful, you know, formal dresses. And you know what I met was someone very different from that. Dan, you covered Hazel Stewart's trial for the Irish Times. What was she like in court? Hazel Stewart was, um, I thought, for somebody uh, facing a, a double murder trial, looked remarkably composed. Uh, it was it was more so uh, whenever it came to the verdict itself. And of course, that was a different story when she really did appear uh, to be breathing very heavily under, under a great deal of pressure and uh, very much at the the focus of things in what was a, a very, very tense and dramatic setting. And how do you think the media perceived or treated her at that time? My sense of it was 
that people were genuinely, uh, as a press pack, if you like to use that phrase, were, were, were generally pretty respectful. And do you think people were at all sympathetic or empathetic to Hazel? Or do you think that she did take on this, this Lady Macbeth sort of femme fatale character in the public eye? I, yes, I've, I've heard that description. And I have to say that the, the you know, looking, looking at her in court, looking at her arriving and leaving the court every day, uh, we we actually saw her at, at close quarters on a number of occasions because um, her family room in, in the court, in other words, a private area where, the, where they could meet when the court was not in session, was actually right next door to the press room. So we would have passed each other in the corridors. Um, and I had no sense then, and I have no sense now, of any sort of Lady Macbeth uh, persona about her whatsoever, or being described or referred to or looking like or giving any suggestion of being any sort of a femme fatale. And that came to me, um, hearing about that many years after the case, that struck me as been completely at odds with, with what my own experience of her had been. Alison, just bringing it back to you, because you've met Hazel, what were your first impressions when you sat down to talk to her? She's tiny, for a start. She's a very small woman, a very petite woman. Her hair is more now of a sort of, sort of mousy brown colour. Um, and she is very quietly spoken, very, very softly. Um, spoken and she did cry and she did show emotion which was something that I think we hadn't seen in court before and you know the interviews with her it was it was very extensive across a lot of things not just about her initial meeting with Hal and what that relationship was like but I also spoke to her about since then in prison and everything that had gone on you know, she was a bit cautious at the start, but then eventually she warmed up and, and she did, you know, she was able to speak about that. And it was clear that she is a woman, she's a woman who needs a man. Mm-hmm. I got that impression from her, that she isn't a woman who could stand on her own two feet or function. She has always been married or in a relationship and I think that she relies quite heavily on a man. She's that, you know that sort of housewifey type woman who didn't really want a career or want anything yeah. else of her own. Um, Hale was a very different. He was, you know, very attractive, very charismatic. What happened after that, you know, she claimed that there was a lot of coercive control in that relationship. We are now, you know, the last region on these islands, either in Ireland or the rest of the UK, to have coercive control legislation that was passed really just before the collapse of the last assembly. Other um, regions and other jurisdictions have had that for quite some time, but it was not even a word I had even heard back when Hazel Shirt was arrested, was course of control. It wasn't in the legal lexicon at all. It wasn't discussed. It was never discussed, I think, at any at either of her trials. I do think that there was a level of coercion. Does that excuse what she did? Of course it doesn't. You know, she took a mother away from children who loved her and she took a father away from her own children, who've mm. also stood by her, by the way, away from from them. But where, where you could point the blame and where you apportion that blame, Colin Howell was clearly the person who came up with this plan, who devised this plan. She was an accessory to that. I do question why it was a joint enterprise murder, because clearly she wasn't even in the same room, in the same house, when he killed his wife. So, you know, I would have questioned just legally aspects of that case. And when I did, and I did through a number of articles that I wrote, my goodness, the backlash that came. Because people want, I think they they had adapted themselves to this. This is an evil, manipulative woman. 
you've been hoodwinked by her. I don't think that I'm easily fooled. You know, I do think that she was a woman who had found herself under the spell of this man and there clearly was coercive control in that. I do think that prison at that time was the best place for for she had to be punished for her crime. I do think that she has been punished for her crimes. Um, you know, and I say this bearing in mind that, you know, the families of the people that they murdered, those young people, you know, had to go on and have lives and have children without one of their parents there because of what they did. But it doesn't stop, I suppose, the fascination of the story and it doesn't stop the fact that if someone is drugging someone and having sex with them, that would be rape in any other circumstances. But in Hazel Stewart's case, I don't think that that was ever considered because of who she was, this image of her as this woman who was, you know, as you said, this sort of Macbeth, this manipulative woman, you know, this crazy femme fatale who was running around, you know, having affairs with men and killing anybody who got in her way. That didn't suit that purpose. But, you know, I did think that there should have been some kind of prosecution to him. It would have added another day to his, his time because he's already serving life in prison. But, you know, it, it does add, I suppose, to the story. And it had to be told as part of that story. So we can't talk about the story of what happened back then without talking about the entire story in its entirety. Dan, do you think from what you saw of Hazel that, that there is any chance that she was coerced or treated harshly or unfairly in the public eye for coming forward and saying that she she was a victim of coercive behaviour by Hale? Well, my own sense of that, to be perfectly honest, was that if there were any victims in it, it were the two murder victims. Uh, her former husband, Trevor Buchanan, and, and uh, Leslie Howell, that was Colin Howell's uh, wife. Um, my sense, my, my, any, if there was any sense of, 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 of wrongdoing or unfairness, it was to those two people who seemed to be almost forgotten about until it, would, until it came up for sentencing, uh, the, the appeal rather later on. Um, and at, and also at the uh, sentence hearing, she had because she was found guilty, uh, the judge had no option other than to give her a life sentence. But they did return to court a short time later, uh, whenever he was to give his view on what a minimum tariff would be before she could even be considered for parole. And she was given 18 years. Now, given what had happened and given the horrendous nature of the crimes, given the fact that two people were dead, that their deaths were made to look like suicide, that she was involved in plotting their deaths and in carrying them out and in destroying evidence and lied uh, and uh, tried her uh, tried her best to keep it hidden for 18 years. Um, I didn't think she was harshly treated, to be perfectly honest. That was my own perspective. Do you think, and this is obviously pure speculation, but if the trial had have happened now and with the sort of prominence that what we know now about course of behaviour and domestic abuse because Hazel was, for example, being drugged by Colin Howell throughout their affair and after the murders. Do you think she she might have been treated differently um, within the public or by the media or do you think things might have went differently, gone differently if the trial had have happened now? I mean, she was convicted by a unanimous verdict of a jury of nine men and three women. And it only took them just over two hours to come to a conclusion about that, which made me give me a very strong sense at the time that the jury was in no doubt about her guilt. I'm not sure that anything significant would have happened in the meantime for that to be any different, to be perfectly honest. If you're going to convict someone on the basis of evidence and, and on the rule of law, rather than on changing attitudes or public opinion or things that we know now that we didn't know then, I'm not sure it would have made a huge difference, to be perfectly honest. 
why did Hazel never come forward herself? I find that really interesting and I did ask her that because as someone who was a Christian woman, surely her conscience must have been, you know, ailing her in the same way as Colin Howells eventually did. Although when we see the circumstances of Colin Howells, it wasn't really so much that his conscience started bothering him, that it was that his life started to unravel. At that time, he was perfectly happy with what he'd done when his life was going well. Um, yeah, she did say at the time that she had considered it loads of times, but that she had her children to consider and that um, she was also terrified of him and what would happen if she had went forward because obviously then the tables would flip and she would have been the prosecution witness against him rather than him be the prosecution witness against her. I'm not sure that any of those arguments hold up. I think that the both of them did something that was so shocking and they withheld that for so long for their own self-interests rather than for the interests of other people. But she did say at that stage, you know, she was a single parent by her own hand, let's face it. But that she thought, well, where my children go? You know, and what will happen to them? And that she was obviously still very terrified of Colin Hall, who was obviously a much more forceful character than she was. She's trying to get her conviction overturned still, is that right? No, the conviction, she's sort of exhausted the appeals process. So she's out of options in relation to that. What her solicitor has done is he has... Um, challenge to the High Court the decision not to prosecute Colin Hall for the, the, the sexual offences mm-hmm. for what they're saying is, you know, the drugging and the having sex with was rape and should have been considered as such. The PPS have said, no, it isn't. And that is being challenged, that part of it. She's exhausted her appeals as far as that's concerned. Um, and she's actually quite a significant lump of her, her, sentence, her sentence done. Because she's still, she's accepting that she's been sentenced for, for the murder of her own husband, Trevor, but she has appealed now a few times in terms of murdering Howell's wife, Leslie, and her children have stood by her. Are you surprised that she's that she stood by that for so long? She did uh, pave the way for the murder of her own husband. She did facilitate his murder and she did destroy evidence afterwards. She had a different role in relation to Leslie Howell because uh, Colin Howell had already murdered her before he turned up at Hazel Stewart's house to murder her husband. So the fact that the judge had made it quite clear that because she knew of the plot to kill Leslie Hall, did nothing about it, and in fact did things to facilitate it, um, then she too could be found guilty of that along with him. So whenever I heard the judge say that to the jury, I thought he is making it very easy and I wouldn't be in the slightest bit surprised if they came back with a guilty verdict. The only thing that did surprise me is that they did so in such a short time afterwards. And say in terms of then Colin Howell, because he actually, I believe he had been charged, he had sexually assaulted patients of his as well. This is what I find interesting because as part of his conviction, he was convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting female patients. And he has that conviction, which runs alongside his sentence for murder. But yet the PPS ruled that that was sexual assault. But on Hazel Stewart, it wasn't because she was an accessory to him in a totally different crime. Which that begs the question to me is, if you're guilty of one thing, does that Mm -hmm. mean you can never be a victim of any other crime again? Because I would challenge anyone to go and visit a women's prison because almost, you know, a lot of the women in there have been victims of horrendous crimes, Mm -hmm. of crimes of a sexual nature, often from their very small children. And then they get to an adult age, they live very dysfunctional lives and they commit a very serious crime and end up behind prison. Does that mean that they weren't a victim prior to making someone a victim? You know, you can be both things. One final question, Alison, just, and this is your own opinion, do you think that her conviction should have been 
overturned and she should have been released sooner. No, I do think that she was guilty of a crime. She was guilty of um, accessory to a crime in the murder of her husband. I, I failed to understand how she was an accessory of a crime in, in the relation to the Colin, Colin Hall's wife because she wasn't there. Um, I do think that she was judged much very harshly at the time um, and I do think that politically around it probably added to that. I do think that she deserves to be behind bars. I don't think that now she does. There's some people who will always be a danger to the public and they should stay behind bars for as long as possible until they're too old to pose a risk or they, you know, they make their end behind bars. But in her case, why is she? Why do we keep people in jail? We keep them in jail to punish them for what they've done. Has she been punished for that? Yes, she has. Or we keep them in jail to protect the public. Is she any danger to the public? No, she's not. That woman is not a danger to the public. Do you think the public will ever truly know what Hazel Stewart is like or what's going on in her mind? It's very, very difficult to, to try and sit on the reporter's bench in a hugely tense and dramatic courtroom uh, and look at someone who's clearly um, under intense pressure as she's being found guilty and, and sentenced to life imprisonment to understand what, in inverted commas, she is really like. Um, I don't think we'll ever know that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I have no idea how someone can involve themselves in, in a double murder plot and destroy evidence, lie to cover up the truth. Um, I don't understand how anybody can fail to show true remorse, uh, which is what the judge said she did. Um, and I don't know how anybody could do that and then plead not guilty. It's it's beyond me. So I, I, I wouldn't assume for one second to know what's going on in her mind at the time. And I certainly wouldn't have any idea what makes her tick now. Alison Morris and Dan Keenan, thanks very much. Today's episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Neve Campbell, and sound engineered by Graham Davidson. Clips featured were from Sky News, RTE, ITV, and the BBC. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.